You're listening to the Verse podcast. You say that we live in an age of impotence, but we have the greatest amount of power stored, and then we have the greatest machineries available. We have an immense power. So why do you say that we are impotent? This, you know, uh, we have an enormous technological power, economic power. And this is why we are impotent. Because the more our um, faculties are objectified in the machine, the less the organ is powerful. I mean, the more we rely on glasses, the less we, our eyes see. Uh, so the more we rely on uh, on artificial intelligence, uh, the more we tend to become stupid. This is a general law of the relation between technology and the human body. We should be aware of that. Uh, our uh, the, 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 the technological projection of our potency is uh, the impotence uh, of, uh, of, our, uh, of our body and of our mind. We must find a balance. When you, talk, <clears throat> when you talk about impotence, do you mean impotence only in a political sense or also in a psychological sense or sexual sense? How can I distinguish between uh, political impotence and uh, uh, psychological and sexual impotence. I cannot. It's the same thing. Actually, uh, you know, um, I think that uh, um, the perception of impotence that we feel when facing the financial machine, when facing uh, the, the military machine, is uh, rooted, is based on uh, uh, the, the growing gold of the humankind. Um, as, uh, as the humankind is growing gold, uh, so we have been creating uh, uh, machines that replace our physical, uh, our sexual, our psychological potency. This is useful because the machine is helping us in a sense. But at a certain point this is dangerous because we feel the potency of the machine as a symptom and as a cause of, 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 our, of our reason, of our, of our potency. So actually um, it's, it's really think to the political impotence of, of, the, of the white working class, so that kind of political impotence that is, uh, uh, is, uh, is bringing people, uh, is pushing people to vote for, uh, for uh, the right wing, to vote for uh, uh, people like uh, Donald Trump uh, and so on. Think to that. Uh, what, 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 what is... Uh, the political, what is the, the that kind, the, the, that political impotence? Actually, it's uh, it's uh, uh, the political face 
of a sentiment of existential impotence. It's also a sentiment and a, 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 a manifestation of, of a sexual impotence uh, that is uh, uh, I mean it's the problem of growing old growing old is uh, can be a beautiful experience if you are uh, able to think uh, that uh, that uh, I have nothing to lose I have nothing to to win but if you think that the problem is winning, the problem is competing, uh, at that point growing gold is very, very bad because you lose, you become a loser. Whatever you, whatever power you have, um, what, um, no matter how money, how weapons you have, you are a loser. If you understand that uh, losing and winning means nothing uh, with uh, Don Juan uh, that uh, has taught me that uh, the important is not winning or losing or losing the important is being impeccable what, what is the meaning of impeccable who knows uh, the, the important is being yourself not uh, Winning, not losing. At that point, you can emancipate yourself from mental slavery. <laughs> mental slavery is depending on the other in the sense of winning or losing. Another form of impotence that is felt a lot today is the impotence to have a voice, it feels. And in your book, you talk a lot about language. I'm thinking in particular when you talk about language in its ability to project ideas and its ability to capture and to code, to create sets of rules. Why is, why, why is thinking about language important for politics today? Language and potency. That is a, a, a crucial point uh, of uh, of the the mutation that we are going through that we are, uh, are living uh, today language is uh, is more is more and more escaping our our um, our grasp uh, our decision uh, think when you when you write uh, three letters and the machine knows what you mean and the machine goes to the end of your word of your sentence and more and more technology is able to anticipate uh, your uh, your intentions of language so this is happening at the individual level in the relation between the user and the and the computing machine but at the social level what's happening is more um, is more uh, <laughs> more evident already we are less and less able to decide about uh, the linguistic alternative and uh, this way we are more and more giving the machine the responsibility about uh, our decision. We are automating our linguistic decision and we are going more and more toward, uh, toward a, a, a condition of uh, 
technolinguistic automatisms deciding in, in our place. Beware, this is not so bad in a sense. This is uh, making uh, our, 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 our life uh, more comfortable uh, in a sense. The problem is that this is uh, a, a, um, a taking away our possibility of deciding about what is important. So we should be able to decide what we want to leave to the machine, also at the linguistic level, and what we want to keep for our personal or collective decision. You see, I think that uh, we are the, 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 what, what, what we call or I call financial capitalism is the transformation of a, 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 an empowering technology into a sort of, of totally disempowering uh, uh, relation with, uh, with the machine. It's not so bad when the machine does things uh, in, at your... In, at your place. What is bad is when you cannot decide what is important to you and what is not so important that you can leave to the machine. In your book you talk about three key concepts. Power, potency, possibility. Can you explain what they mean and what's the relation between them? <laughs> well. The crucial concepts of my last book uh, are potency, power and possibility. Uh, in this order, when, when it comes to the historical uh, problem, but in a different order when it comes to the philosophical definition of the words. The, the, at the philosophical level, the crucial concept is the concept of possibility. Possibility uh, is uh, the range of uh, um, alternatives, of different alternatives, not infinite range, but very wide, that are inscribed in, in the present, in the present uh, reality of uh, the body, in the present reality of the, uh, the social organization, uh, and so on. So, possibility is the range of many uh, uh, futures that uh, may develop, may deploy, may unfold from the inscribed, uh, from what is inscribed in reality. But in order to actualize one possibility or the other, you need the potency to go towards this, this, uh, this actualization. Uh, and what potency, what potency is? Potency is um, the, the energy that uh, a body can or cannot develop. Possibility is there, potency is not always there. Sometimes uh, 
we don't have the potency that we need in order to deploy and unfold the, the possibility that we would like to develop. Uh, so the crucial point is potency. Uh, but how happens that potency is there or is not there? How happens that we are powerful, potent, potent, can I say potent in English, who knows, maybe, uh, or impotent. How happens? And so we, we have to understand the meaning of the third concept, power. Power is not a subject. Power is not a subjectivity. Power is a, a, a gestalt a form, an organization of the present. Power is a, 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 a structure that makes possible the unfolding of certain possibility and makes impossible the unfolding of other possibilities. I would say more. Power is not making possible the actualization of a possibility, it's making invisible the, 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 the possibility itself. This is the, 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 the power. I see power as a, a machine of invisibilization. Uh, power is uh, a, a sort of organization of uh, the social discourse and uh, of the social unconscious that makes impossible for the majority of the humankind to see what is there. And so nowadays, for instance, uh, we cannot see something that is absolutely evident. We don't need to work anymore. That is the point. And uh, we don't see, we don't see. We need a different system of visibility. This is the point. And uh, power is uh, a, a grid of, uh, uh, of invisibilization. So power, and also the point is that power the point is that power is producing flows of, uh, of impotence. Power is producing uh, flows of sadness, what Spinoza calls uh, the sad passions, uh, are not a natural uh, given. This is the effect of this invisibilization of the possible. We we, we want something, but we don't see the way that exists uh, of making that uh, possibility actual. So, in, in one of your recent books, you've been, in, in your recent books, you've been talking a lot about the end of the future. And you started this book saying, I will not talk about the future or the end of the future. But the title of the book, book is Futurability. So what is futurability and how is it different from the future? Well, <laughs> it's, uh, the word futurability, uh, of course, has something to do with the word future, but 
um, not so much. Uh, in a sense, uh, it's uh, durability gives me the possibility of forgetting about the future. The, the future has been uh, uh, haunting me, in a sense, not only me, <laughs> of course, my generation. And uh, uh, at a certain point of my life, uh, I heard some uh, some people, some young people like uh, me, 40 years ago, saying no future. The future is over. Uh, that that uh, that uh, message uh, was uh, frightening, uh, in a sense. Uh, and I have been living the last 40 years. Uh, um, thinking that the future is over. Actually, it was not true because I am here and now it's the future, so... Um, so it was not true, but it was true in a sense. Because that future, future you know is not um, a simple succession of instants uh, in time. Uh, future is... Uh, actually, future is a non-existing thing. Future is a cultural uh, construct is a cultural uh, and uh, psychological expectation. Future is all about expectations, of course. And at a certain point, the modern expectation of expansion, growth, improvement uh, of um, lifestyles, uh, uh, more and more and more and better and better, that, that expectation went, uh, was lost. And uh, in this sense, uh, the modern future uh, has finished. So at a certain point uh, I was tired of uh, repeating to myself the future is over and also meeting friends in the streets. Uh, I discovered that people who are thinking that I am depressed. Someone told me, oh, you wrote a book ab about suicide, you need to see a doctor. Actually, I, I don't need to see a doctor. I'm in good shape. Uh, well, uh, I'm, I'm in good shape. Yes, I am in good shape. And I don't need to see a doctor. But so something has to be changed in my, in my um, intimate discourse. Uh, and at a certain point I said, why future? Futurability. Futurability is much more interest, much more, much more rich than future. Because what is future means tomorrow uh, uh, something happens. Futurability means tomorrow. Tomorrow, many different conflicting, totally heterogeneous things may may happen. So futurability is the range of possible futures. So at that point I, I started, uh, I, I, I tried to analyze the, the, the shift from the present to the range of possibilities that are open in the future. And I asked myself, how happens that this future can be uh, deployed and that future cannot be deployed? Uh, what, what is the, the limit? What is the obstacle? 
and uh, and uh, at that point uh, I understood that the, 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 the limit is a limit of visibility. The problem is that me and many people like me do not see that possibility. So we think that uh, the future is uh, the future. No, the future is not the future. The future is a range of different possibilities. The point is, how can we see the other possible uh, the unfolding of uh, what is inscribed in the present? Here comes, comes the problem of potency and of vision. It's all a problem of vision. Your book works a little bit like a story with a number of characters. Three characters are particularly important. The engineer, the poet, and the designer. Who are these three characters? And why are they important? In the next question, I will ask you about the technical platform. But here is just who are these people? Who is the engineer? Who is the poet? Who is the designer? And are these people imaginary or are they in the streets? Well, if I, if I look at the present, at the present organization of life, of uh, knowledge, of labor, I see three, maybe four, different characters. One, for me, is the artist, the poet. Um, who is the artist? The artist is, uh, is uh, someone who is searching mean for meaning. But uh, the search for meaning is not uh, the search for true, for the true meaning. It's a, a sort of vibration, uh, like when you need to find the good point, uh, and in order to find that good point, you have to vibrate around that, uh, that point. Then you find that point, and you go and you go forward. You, you, uh, the artist is, is, uh, is uh, the, the person better the poet, uh, because the poet uh, is someone who works about rhythm. The problem of rhythm is important. The poet is someone who is looking for a, a, a syntonic rhythm, a rhythm which is harmonic with uh, uh, the cosmos with the surrounding uh, universe. Uh, then comes the engineer, and the engineer is a good guy, but is little bit narrow-minded if he forgets to speak with the poet because he thinks that there is one solution, just one. That solution is the only good solution. So he is sort of uh, blocking. Uh, the entries and the exits. Uh, the, the poet is working on the conjunctive dimension of meaning. Conjunctive in the sense that it, meaning is in the, in, the, in the physical relation between bodies, uh, in the conjunction among bodies. For the engineer, the meaning is connective, and connection means a blocked relation between the sign 
and the, the, the meaning between the signifier and the signified. Uh, you see, the, the, in my opinion, the real problem is that the, the engineer has to talk with the poet, and the poet has to, to talk with the engineer. So why, why they, they don't, don't talk together? Why, why they don't uh, meet? I, I think that they don't talk together because the economist is impeaching their meeting. The economist, uh, I don't like, frankly speaking. Uh, the economist is someone who pretends to be a scientist and is not a scientist. He's much more oppressed than, than a, a scientist. The, the economist, uh, you know, the science is based uh, on the ability of finding the laws of reality. The economist is not finding laws on reality. The, the economist is deciding that this is the law and you have to obey the law. So it's much more a dogmatic person than, 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 a, than a scientist. And so the economist is someone who obliges the poet to stay in his, uh, in his uh, utopian space and obliges the uh, engineer to obey the laws, the, 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 the artificial laws and the artificial and pretending to be natural laws of the economy. Then there is the designer. The designer is a strange guy because he is the only person, the only figure who has the ability to think in a double way. He is someone who feels the environment, who feels the bodies that are all around the machine and tries to create a form of connection which is a conjunctive connection, a form of a structural form of the machine which is able to uh, evolve in relation with the environment. The designer is for me the most enigmatic uh, person in this uh, story. I, I, I speak in my book, I speak of the designer at the very end, just a, a short chapter about the designer, because I have the intuition that the designer uh, is, uh, is the key figure, but I, I, it's an intuition. I, I see very well the poet, I see very well the engineer, I see the economist, but I, I only perceive the possibility of the designer. Towards the end of the book you talk about the possibility of a technical platform, but also, so the poet and the engineer speaking <coughs> together, but also you talk about possibility of a global Silicon Valley. So can you explain a bit better how the poet and the engineer can meet in a global Silicon Valley and what that means? Well, at the end of my book, in the third part of my book, um, I, I try to, to develop the idea that, uh, that the, the problem of the political problem that we are facing nowadays uh, is the problem of creating a platform, a technical platform, I mean. Uh, um, for what? What is, what is the, the, the goal 
of the platform that I want to, to build. The goal of this platform is first to make visible what the capitalist gestalt is invisibilizing, is making invisible. Secondly, a technical platform has to be able to conjoin the connective activity of millions of cognitive workers of the world. And uh, at that point, uh, speaking of a technical platform for, for the liberation from the capitalist gestalt, I came to understand that um, the, 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 the philosophy, the critique of the left, uh, our philosophy, I come from the left, I'm a leftist, you know, and, uh, but at the same time I, I see that the leftists are becoming a little bit boring sometimes because think to Eugeni Morozov, that I like very much, he's, he's a friend, he's a, I am a fan of him, but he is always complaining against the Silicon Valley, the Silicon Valley is uh, uh, to power, he's right, of course, he's right, but uh, if, if, uh, if we accept the idea that the Silicon Valley is Google, and Facebook, and Amazon, and Microsoft, and Apple, uh, and some other big uh, global corporation. Bye-bye, we have no way out, uh, it's done. Do you think that it's possible to win a political force that may uh, um, fight and win against Google? I don't think so. It's, it's totally impossible. Politics is totally impotent if you, if you think, because Google uh, is uh, the body and the soul of politics. Uh, the, pol the national state uh, is dead in, in the place of the national state, of the European Union, of the United States of America, of China, of the popular Republic of China. The real force uh, of these uh, uh, moguls of these uh, monsters of power is Google. They are nothing if you if you cancel the the the, the computing machine. So what? So nothing can be done. Politics is impotent. But me, you, and hundred million people in the world, we are Google, we are Facebook, we are the Silicon Valley. The Silicon Valley is not somewhere in Cupertino, in Mountain View, I don't remember where, in California, no. The, the, the real Silicon Valley is everywhere in the world. Wherever there is uh, an anonymous uh, uh, cognitive worker, wherever, wherever there is a punk, a hip, a lover, a poet, an engineer who refuses the blackmail of, of power, of misery, of, um, of a life of work, of salaried work, wherever there is a rebel with a keyboard and with access to the global machine, 
the global Silicon Valley is there. So, you know, I think that if we, if we want to win the battle against the, the global corporation that are the real force of capitalism nowadays, it's not politics that will help us. It's not the national state uh, or the parliament, uh, the political parties. No, it's us. But uh, in solidarity, that is the, the, the difficult point of the story, that those hundred million cognitive workers uh, that are uh, dispersed in, uh, in, in the world need a technical platform and need a sentiment, a culture. A, a common perception of the possibility. This is the force that can liberate the possibility from the power. Well, in my book I, sp I speak uh, um, a bit about humanism. I do not pretend that I can really explain what uh, humanism is, uh, but I try to understand uh, um, what is the trace that uh, uh, humanism has produced in the history of modernity. And I start from Pico della Mirandola, because Pico della Mirandola was a strange guy, a strange uh, um, philosopher who um, at a certain point imagined the metaphor of God, uh, of a God who is unable to find the meaning of the human history. That is the point. A, a, a very powerful God that at a certain point uh, acknowledges his inability to find the meaning for us for Adam and Eve, for uh, the human race. So, in a sense, uh, humanism starts from the impotence of God. And from this impotence, a new freedom arises, which is the human freedom. You know, the word freedom has been trashed in the last 30 years because uh, it has become a political, economic uh, freedom. I don't care about political freedom. I don't care about juridical freedom. I don't care about economic freedom. I care a lot about ontological freedom. What is ontological freedom? Indetermination. The fact that we don't know who we are. This is the interesting thing. Human freedom is essentially about the non-being. It is essentially about becoming. And so it's essentially about creating, creating creation of, of, a, of possible futures. Um, this is humanism. Then at a certain point, uh, Another phase of humanism started at a certain point of the human, uh, of the modern history. Let's say in the, in the last two centuries of modernity, the bad uh, phase of humanism started to, to become more and more evident. Because, you know, humanism is also about uh, 
des mail potency. Machiavel, Machiavelli, who was not a friend of Pico della Mirandola, but uh, took part in the same uh, in the same period, in the same uh, work, in the same enterprise of creation of the modern idea of humanism. Machiavelli, in his uh, famous book The Prince, says that uh, the prince is the man, man in a sexual, uh, in a strong sexual sense, is the, the masculine force which is able to submit the capricious fortuna. Obviously, fortuna is, 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 is female. Fortuna means, uh, in Latin, fortuna means uh, um, chance, uh, plurality of possibilities, uh, chaos, in a sense. Fortuna is chaos. Uh, and, uh, and the prince is uh, the masculine force who submits the chaotic, capricious uh, multiplicity of, uh, uh, of the female nature or chaos. Uh, you see, so the humanism is uh, Pico della Mirandola, but is also Machiavelli. And um, now, at the end of modernity, uh, humanism has become an, an embarrassing subject. Think to uh, Michel Houellebecq, uh, who is a great writer in my opinion, but a, a, very, a very gloomy, uh, a very sad uh, person in a, in a sense. He, he writes beautiful books, but uh, about a, a, very, a very sad perception of the world. He says uh, humanism is horrible. Uh, it's the, 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 he, he strongly dislikes uh, uh, humanism. He declares uh, this. Uh, but uh, I think that he's confusing the different, uh, the different uh, um, faces uh, uh, of humanism. Now, at the end of modernity, we have to be able to disentangle the, the, uh, the humanist sense of freedom from the political aggressive masculinity of uh, uh, the human as power on nature. We have to be able to disentangle the, the, the pico meaning of humanism from the Machiavelli meaning of humanism. A word that recurs very often in, in this last book, Future Ability, is the word humiliation. What does it mean? Why? <laughs> who is humiliated? By whom? Well, in the last um, two years or so, I, I start, I've started uh, thinking about uh, the problem of humiliation. It's a word that uh, does not belong to the tradition of uh, Marxism uh, and of the political thought. Uh, but I think that if we don't, uh, don't understand what humiliation 
means uh, we don't understand the victory of Donald Trump in the United States of America or the victory of a guy like Nigel Farage uh, in the United Kingdom and so on and so on because these kind of people are the avengers of the humiliated people of the world. So what is the meaning of humiliation? Humiliation, in my opinion, means the perception that you cannot, can no more be, that you can no longer be what you were proud to be. It's uh, the dignity of, uh, uh, of the, of the persons, of the workers, uh, that it it stake in in the in the process of humiliation. When uh, for think think to my generation, for instance, um, I was 18 years old in the year 1968. I've been lucky. Uh, and uh, when when I entered in the world, all of a sudden I discovered that the best dreams uh, could become true. Um, justice, solidarity, less work, more salary, more freedom, more knowledge, more school for everybody. But, uh, the world is beautiful. Uh, and the dignity is identified with condition, it's possible, it's good, I want to go on, then things change at a certain point in my life. I would say at the end of the 70s when Margaret Thatcher's, Thatcher won the elections in the United Kingdom, I had the feeling that something was changing in my life, in my personal life. A long-lasting humiliation started at that point. Why? Because what was part of my expectations and of my possibilities all of a sudden was cancelled and was declared out of fashion. Equality, out of fashion. Freedom, uh, out of fashion, if not in, in the economic sense, uh, and so on and so on. Pension, why pension? You have to work uh, all, all your life long. Salary, salary, it's me who decide. You work and shut up. And the certainty of the future, forget about it. Precarity is better. And so on and so on. So, this perception that something belonging to your world, to your dignity, to your identity, if I can say this, this word that I don't like so much, something belonging to you is stolen. And at that point you start feeling a sort of dispossession, of humiliating dispossession. Humiliating because you are guilt if I steal your, your, your salary, your life. It's your fault because you are poor, you are weak, you have no power, you are impotent, you are stupid, and so on and so on. You know what? If you want to understand the victory of Donald Trump, you have to think of uh, Tony Blair, 
of uh, Bill Clinton, of Massimo D'Alema, of François Hollande, they, the neoliberal left, have been the humiliators. And the workers, uh, the workers of the world, uh, were investing in people like Tony Blair. Who is Tony Blair? He's someone who became powerful thanks to the British workers. It's the workers who have made the fortune of Tony Blair. And what has, Tony, what has done Tony Blair? He has humiliated the British workers. And, and he has said, Cool Britannia is good and you are old people, I don't care about you. Um, that is the perception that we have of Tony Blair, that, that's the point. And uh, for 10 years we have accepted that, for 20 years we have accepted that, expecting tomorrow maybe that uh, uh, something happens. Uh, at, the, at a certain point, uh, after 30 years of permanent humiliation, the working class of the West has decided that the the humiliator in, in chief, uh, the hyper humiliated the humiliator called Donald Trump, is our favorite person because he is going to humiliate the humiliators. So I started thinking that, that uh, humiliation is the keyword of the victory of the right wing of the fascists in, in, in the last two years. It's now. A lot of people talk as a response to right-wing populism about the possibility of left-wing populism. Is it something that you like? You don't like? Well, first of all, I think that the word populism should be cancelled. I mean, what does it mean, this word? Populism is a, a, a concept that comes out in, at the end of the 19th century in Russia and uh, is referred to the relation between intellectuals and uh, farmers and uh, peasants and uh, poor people in the countryside of Russia. Then, at a certain point, um, the neoliberal left has decided that uh, populism is a bad thing. And populism is um, all that is con contradicting, uh, is uh, violating the uh, natural law of profit, uh, competition, uh, capitalist growth, and so on. If you, if you don't understand that I am right, you are a populist. So you see, it's it's really confusing this uh, this this word. It refers to the fact that uh, the populus is bad, not a good not a good way to relate to the people, not a good way to 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 win the elections. And anyway, and so let's be more clear. When I speak of uh, those who have uh, uh, voted for Donald Trump, uh, when I speak of those uh, who refuse uh, migration in, uh, in Europe, uh, I don't call them populists, I call them racists, fascists, nazists, and so on. I, 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 I see 
a, a similarity between what said Adolf Hitler to the white workers of Germany and what Donald Trump is saying to the white workers of the United States of America. They are making the same, the same talk. Hitler said to the white workers of Germany, forget about your humiliation. You are not uh, humiliated and defeated workers. You are white warriors and we will win. They did not win, but they destroyed Europe. The same, say, the same thing is saying Donald Trump. He, he speaking with the um, American white workers, say you are not workers. You are white people. You are white warriors, and we will win. I think that they will not win, but they are poisoned to destroy the world. So you see, is it populism? No, it's fascism. Then someone. Uh, some friends of mine have the brilliant idea that we should be populist but leftist populist. What do you mean? We should take the same values of the racists and transform these values into leftist values. We should understand the cry of suffering of the people. I don't want to understand the humiliation from the point of view of the humiliation itself. I want to understand humiliation as a starting point for therapy, for self-transformation. The humiliated people are are not humiliated people, they are the possibility of dignity, they are the possibility of autonomy, they are the possibility of, of communism. This is what we need. If we need a word, the word is there. Communism. Oh, you are an old person, you are talking about the old things. Please stop because populism is more old than communism, first of all, and capitalist and neoliberal is more old than communism. So it's not a problem of how old are you, how old am I, and so on. The point is that communism has, has, has turned very bad during the past century. I know. I know very well. I know it. But you know what? Also, Christian, the Christian name has been uh, ill-famed in the past. Uh, Christianism was a good thing at the beginning, a, a brilliant idea. All the human beings are equal in front of God. Then they made the Inquisition, the evangelization and colonization, the witch hunt, and, and many other bad things. But now, there is a, a, a guy called Francesco who come to the fore, comes to the fore saying, Buonasera, I come from the apocalypse. I am a man who comes from the end of the world. Uh, Mario Bergoglio, uh, Francesco, is the coming back of the word of Christ. And I like it. I don't believe in God. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't trust God. It's, it's a problem uh, or not. I don't know. Anyway, anyway, I do not want to convert. But Francesco told me, you know, I don't want to convert you. I don't care about your faith. Beautiful idea. A pope who tells me 
that faith is not the problem. So what is the problem? And he also says, you know, also hope is not really fashionable nowadays. If you don't have faith, then it's difficult to have hope because hope is based on faith. Uh, interesting thing. So what is the point? And he tells me the problem is charity. Uh, I don't understand what, what charity is. And he translates. Charity is the pleasure of being uh, with, with someone different from you. Charity is compassion. Compassion. Uh, also Gautama Siddhartha uh, used this word. And uh, compassion means uh, feeling the same feeling of the other person. So it's interesting. And also the psychoanalysts use a, a similar word. They, they say empathy. This is the point with uh, Francesco. And this is why I am a Christian. Uh, I don't believe in God, absolutely. I will never believe in God uh, uh, until the end. I know, I'm sorry, uh, but, I, but I am a Christian. Uh, so. Why should I not be a communist? I am a communist and I always will be. This is the good word that we should be able to repeat and repeat and repeat. A guy called Vladimir Lenin, that I don't like so much, um, I find him too severe and sort of uh, um, not uh, ironical enough uh, for my uh, task, um, came to the fore saying that communism is uh, the potency of the state against capitalism. The conclusion has been very bad because the state is not a friend of human freedom and is not a friend of the possibilities that are inscribed in the present. So, 100 years after the Soviet Revolution, I would, I would like to say that the real problem is that we should emancipate from the superstition of salaried labor. Com the communist, uh, the, the Soviet Revolution has been unable to, to target the real enemy of, uh, of the humankind. Uh, probably it was too, too early. Probably Russia was not the good place to do that. Probably, uh, probably now. It's the moment uh, for uh, getting free from that superstition. What is the superstition? The superstition is the idea that if you want to survive, you have to work. Well, it has been true for 500 years, probably. During the industrial age, a, a certain amount of work was necessary. But at a certain point, work has become more and more identifiable with knowledge. And you know what knowledge is. Essentially, knowledge is the ability to live, to survive, without uh, objectifying your time in the form of labor. Knowledge uh, is freedom from labor. This uh, is uh, possible now. This is necessary now. The superstition is uh, the idea that 
if you want to survive, you need a salary. If you want a salary, you need to work. I would say, let's forget about, uh, about salary. Let's understand that we need to be useful, to be active, to be crea creative without the blackmail of salary and survival. This is possible now. And uh, this was probably impossible 100 years ago. Anyway, now it's the moment. We need a technical platform for the solidarity of 100 million of cognitive workers in the world. And those 100 million uh, of people like me like, and like you, those 100 million people will be able to create a world where richness is for everybody because richness is already for everybody. We don't see it, but we have an intellectual potency that can produce what we need without obliging our time to be subjected to the blackmail of salary, to the blackmail of work. <laughs>